There has to be some common sense. Yes, sir, they have the car stopped in 10 and branch microfiber. We still don't know who pulled the trigger. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Police Off the Cuff, Real Crime Stories. I'm your host, retired NYPD Sergeant Bill Cannon. I retired with 27 years of service. And with me tonight, retired NYPD detective straight out of Brooklyn, Phil Grimaldi. How are you doing tonight, Phil? I'm doing pretty good, Billy. Great to see you. And of course, in the bottom window, we have former Chicago SWAT officer and detective and national police spokesperson, Lisa Lockwood, great to have you on the show tonight, Lisa. Thank you. It's great to see both of you. That's Thank great. You. you know, it's th this whole situation uh, for police, for anyone, for human beings to watch this and to see it unfold, it's just heartbreaking. I see uh, veteran news reporters in tears on TV, specifically um, Ashley Banfield just lost it the other night because she had reported on uh, Sandy Hook years ago when she's in Connecticut, and here we are. Ten years later, and we haven't learned anything from these uh, active shooters. And it's just, you know, 19 children, you know, ages 8 through 10, two adults, 21 people killed in this senseless, senseless acting active shooter. It's just too much. And, you know, Lisa, one of the things that we, uh, and Phil, that we wish didn't happen is the politicizing of this immediately. You know, there's 19 dead kids and already – politicians are trying to get their uh score some points with their constituents and it's really sort of sickening you know and uh phil why don't you you know they came up with with a, a more accurate timeline today uh and i i still think it's a little too soon to have a super accurate timeline because things are going to change still the media demands it and if the police don't give the media what they want the media will invent it themselves so let's hope that it comes from the police and not from the media. Phil, you want to go over the timeline a little bit? Sure, Billy. I uh, I pulled up the timeline. I did it through uh, NBC News. I did it through People Magazine. But I also watched a press conference. So some of the time may or may not be 100% accurate. But here we go. 11 a.m. Uh, yesterday, the shooter uh, shoots his grandmother, a 66-year-old female. He shoots her in the head, but she's able to retreat across the street and call the police. At 11.15 AM, the shooter posts on face on Facebook, I'm going to shoot uh, an elementary school. So there's 15 minutes between the time he shoots his mother and then when he makes that post. At 11.28 AM, uh, he crashes the grandmother's vehicle. I think everybody's seen it on the news. It's a black pickup truck outside the Robb Elementary School. He exits through the passenger door carrying a rifle and a backup, presumably loaded with ammo. Um, he fires shots at employees of a funeral home that came out to see what happened with the accident, I guess, to try and assist him. He fires at them. They retreat. Um, at 11.30 a.m., it's reported that that's the first 911 call. At 11.32 a.m., he enters the school campus grounds. He scales a fence. He enters the parking lot. He's firing shots at the school. Um, at 11.40 is when he actually enters the school through what's apparently an open door or an unlocked door. At 11.43, the school posts, somehow or another they post, there's a lockdown in progress at 11.43 a.m. 
At 11.44, police arrive on the scene and shots are fired inside the school. There may or may not have been an exchange of gunfire between the police and the perpetrator. There was definitely shots fired at the police. We don't know for certain if they returned fire. They retreated, however. At 12.17, an automated call to parents uh, stating that there's an active shooter in the school. Police are on the scene and they're cautioned to stay away from the school. At 12.23, parents are told by another automated call to pick up their kids at a civic center approximately 1.3 miles away from the school. Now, we know that the shooter is still alive at this point. However, these uh, automated calls are going out. I don't know if it's done from the district or the actual school itself. 12.45. It's either 12.45 or 12.47 based on who you believe. Uh, Border Patrol tactical team arrives on the school. They breach the school and they kill the shooter. One member of the Border Patrol tactical team is grazed in the head by a bullet. I believe uh, they showed his uh, his hat his that he was wearing where he took the shot in the in the head. However, he's going to be okay. Also, the grandmother is going to survive her injuries. That's what we Lisa. Know. Lisa, I want to I want to draw attention to you now. Everything you know right now about active shooters and how after Columbine, police took a huge um, criticism because they didn't go right into the school to, because they didn't know as much about active shooters as we do now. And what we know now is that we have to confront them immediately. You want to talk about the, the police in this instance are already taking a tremendous amount of criticism and we, the investigation is nowhere close to being completed yet. Right. So hostage barricade terrorist situations, active shooter, without a doubt, police officers are supposed to go in. You do call your critical incident team, your SWAT, your HBT to come out if the person is not firing any rounds, if there are hostages. So you want to make sure that everything's safe. safe. You set up a perimeter. But when you have an active shooter and that's the that's the area that is a little bit gray right now. When did it happen? And Detective Grimaldi, you did a great job with the timeline because he entered at 1140. The police officers who were initially there went into the building at 1144. And they said the shots that they heard were right away. So this is the question. Did he start shooting up students in that four minute window? And then police officers got in and then there was an exchange. So we don't know that. These are the facts that have to come forward. But we do know we had officers on the scene in the building and there was an alleged exchange of gunfire. Now, they were forced to get into position to retreat. There were a lot of unknowns at that point. Do we have multiple shooters? We don't know. We just have a little bit of information from a 911 call and then the people who were actually on the scene who eyeballed it. But think about it. Four minutes response time is actually phenomenal. You get an 1132 911 call. Did that come from the grandmother? Did it come from the scene? How quickly they responded? That we can say they did a great job. Everything that comes after that now is what we have to investigate. We don't know. There are so many pieces of this puzzle. We knew after the initial retreat at 1144 that they did start to call out their backup teams, their people who had the extra gear that they needed to have, the, the, the vests, the tactical wear, the, the long guns. Um, so we were waiting, they were waiting on that and they, it took close to one hour for them to arrive. I think it was like 50 minutes, 45 minutes for them to get there. So parents were saying some things in some of the interviews that they heard gunshots in there. Was it the initial gunshots that they heard with the exchange from the police officers who entered the building? I don't well, know. Well, you know, Lisa, I think they're saying that potentially 
everyone could have been killed in the first five minutes that he entered that room. And that's a distinct possibility. But one thing I want all the Monday morning quarterbacks, all the woulda, shoulda, couldas out there, I want them to know that this guy was firing right through the walls at them. All right. He had this powerful, powerful rifle. So all the people that think they're just going to go run in there as sacrificial lambs, they're cops and they tactically they're trained, of course, to take this guy on. But he has a way more powerful weapon than they have. They didn't have SWAT there. They didn't have ESU like, you know, NYPD. They would boom that door and they would take the and they would throw in a flashbang. But they didn't have any of that equipment. So all these people that are already, especially the MSNBCs, the CNNs, all of these leftist news stations, they're already throwing these cops under the bus. And let's wait to see what the results of this investigation is and are before we start throwing these guys under the bus. Billy, I want to make a point about the type of weapon that he was using. He was using an AR, which is a 223 round. The 223 round is a high velocity uh, rifle round. Uh, ballistic shields are not impervious to that round. It, it, it will go through a ballistic shield. It'll definitely go through a bulletproof vest. So uh, again, they were faced with a situation where they were being fired upon. Uh, it sounds like there was a volley of shots when he first entered the building. That may be the time that he killed all these students. Uh, I think that's still unclear at this point. I, I'm just talking from the reports that we know. But as you said, Bill, the investigation is going to tell us what took place and when. And then once they had a retreat, I mean, you know, they can't go into a kill zone, into a kill assignment where they're, they're definitely going to die. They needed to take cover. It was probably a good call to retreat back unless there were continuous shots going off and he was marching through that school. I think that the right call was to pull back and wait for a SWAT team or the tactical team from the Border Patrol. It was probably the best move. Uh, I wasn't there. I didn't make the call. But again, this is chaos. You know, this is total pandemonium. Don't forget, you had the car accident where that was one possible 911 call. You had the police being called because the funeral home people that were being shot out. And then you had the shots at the school. So there was a lot of chaos going on, probably a lot of different confusion, different calls. So again, the police response was there. They did enter the school as soon as they got there. However, they were met with gunfire. They did do a retreat. That's what we know. We don't know what happened in that 50 minutes, 60 minutes, whatever it was between the time that they entered the school and the SWAT team went in and was able to kill the suspect. But uh, it's a lot of Monday morning quarterbacking going on. And I understand the frustration of those parents. I went to a Look, thing. Uh, if I, we're, all, we're parents and I would I would be questioning the police too. Why did, why did you go right in? I, I was my son in there. I was my daughter in there. Why did you go right in? But tactically, Lisa, I think you could speak to this better than us probably being a former SWAT officer. Tactically, again, people talking in the chat, this is a small town. They don't yeah. have a SWAT team. They don't have an emergency service. So they had to wait for Border Patrol with the big guns and the tactical weaponry and the equipment to breach that door and go in and challenge this guy and take this guy out. So is that's understandable, wouldn't you say, Lisa? Well, yes. And everything that uh, Detective Grimaldi just said makes perfect sense because not being equipped, not having the training. There are teams that are specified to do this type of work. So yes, that could have been one of those issues. The, the one thing that came forward also is that two years ago, I think they put into place $450,000 for the nine school districts to have school resource officers there to make sure they had cameras on the exterior of the building. So they went through this almost in anticipation of, let's get the funds to make sure that we keep our school safe. And here we have a day where unfortunately none of those stop systems to harden that target were in effect. 
No. You know, Lisa, in addition, there was a door left open. Now, that has to be investigated, too. Why was there a door left open that this guy just ran right through and had no, uh, nothing stopping him from getting into that building? And they were saying they're still investigating that. But you would know if he if he needed to use his weapon, you would know there were shots fired for him to hit that lock and open it up. And it was breached. But the assumption is the police officers went through that same door that he went in. They kind of exactly. followed him because they knew where he, where he was. Listen, based on all of these recent school shootings, there should be protocols. And I think we've said this before in the past. There should be during school hours, there should be one way into the school, one way out of the school with all the other doors able to open from the inside, locked from the outside, but open from the inside. And then that door, that one door that we're going to use, it needs to be monitored by a surveillance system. You have to have a two-way communication. That's the way most of the schools that I've been in in recent years operate. There's a, a fortified door, two doors. And if you come to the door, you ring the bell and they ask you who you are, what your business is in there. And if they feel that you're okay to let in, they let you in. And this doesn't seem like that protocol was followed in this case. Uh, Jacqueline, I'm sorry, yeah, Lisa. I just want to mention this. Jacqueline in the chat says kids' lives could have been saved if the shooter was taken down early. Of course, the kids who were wounded could have been at the hospital instead of a slow death in the classroom. Jacqueline, everything you say is true. However, it's not so easy to take this guy down when he's shooting at them with a semi-automatic rifle that blows through walls, you know? So we have to understand the officers bravely entered and bravely were willing to give up their lives to go through that door. They couldn't get in the door because they didn't have the key at the time and they didn't have the equipment to do so, to breach the door. And that's why they had to wait. And I'm sorry, you know, and I, if, as a parent, if my son was in there, I would have, you know, I would have parachuted through the window myself. But, you know, we have to face reality of what occurred and the investigation will let us know all the facts down the road. Sorry, we can't have all the facts immediately, but investigation takes time. There's one other thing I want to point out. When those officers enter into that school, you got to remember this, and most people are forgetting this. There's other innocent children in that school. So if they're firing shots randomly through a door that they can't even see to perpetrate it, they'll be able to hit a kid. So they had to use restraint, and they had to try and neutralize this guy. But, you know, there's innocence in that school. Think about that. That school, it was a regular school day. There was a lot of kids in there. So they couldn't just start arbitrarily throwing hand grenades into the room to get rid of them. And, and, and other people could have been injured. So those are the things that they took into account at that moment and listen it's not an easy call definitely not an easy call it's a very difficult call and i think that lisa maybe you could comment on that i mean you you were a swat officer yourself and i, I think you had something else to say so uh, you need to know right you need to know your backdrop and that's 100 percent true you can't just willy-nilly fire rounds down a corridor not knowing when these kids are going to pop out of certain rooms how are the kids trained regarding a lockdown? They got information that there, there was going to be a lockdown only after they knew that the shooter was in the building because they could hear hear the shots being fired. So that's like you talked about. When did the text come out? And when did the parents get their alerts? When, when that was happening? So within that four minutes, there already had been gunfire. There was an exchange with the police officers who did arrive. And then if they're shooting down a hallway or he ducks into a room, you can't do anything. That's it because this is a high powered weapon, as you said before. So now it's a, it becomes a waiting game. Yes, they could walk through and you know become sacrificial lambs and try to decide which room they're in. And you know certainly, yes, they can do that. And then it could have been seven more dead bodies laying there. Yep. Guys, uh, some of you folks are asking, how would the NYPD handle this? Well, we have 
one of the best we it's called emergency service it's not called SWAT they're probably the best in the world because they go on more jobs than any city and they would have handled this they would have boomed the door uh they would have either had the hydraulic thing that just eviscerates the the locks and the uh the door itself and they would just go right through the but first they would probably throw in a flashbang and a flashbang what it does it disorients the person the shooter and it's not to hurt anybody it's to disorient him so that's how they would do it, and they would have shot him dead. That's how they would do it in New York or any large city that has a good SWAT team or a good emergency service team. But unfortunately, guys, in this small little town, that wasn't to be. And luckily, Border Patrol was close by, and they had that tactical team that was able to confront this guy and take him out. Play one more point about uh, NYPD uh, emergency service unit. Uh, on a routine uh, whether it be a day tour or four to 12 or midnight, each borough has several emergency service unit uh, trucks assigned to the patrol. So, and they carry a lot of uh, different tools. They carry heavy weaponry. They carry the ballistic helmets. They carry the uh, heavy vests. They carry the ballistic shields. They have all that equipment and their usual response time is not that long in an NYPD in a city situation. Now in this situation, obviously they had to wait for uh, the border patrol to come that had that capability. So that's the differences between a small town and a city like New York. Yeah, and I'm not trying to say, oh, the NYPD is the greatest in the world, but they're experienced. They do this all the time. And this is a small little town that doesn't have emergency service or a SWAT team. Life is short. Thank you for the $5 super chat. And she says, thank you for covering the story. Well, you're very welcome. Um, this is a story that I think we would be remiss in our duties if we didn't cover it, you know. And Lisa, I want to just ask you something, and this is very important. And messaging is very important isn't it and i think a lot of these small towns err in that also is that they don't realize they got to get the message out there they got to get the timeline out there fast because if they do not the press is going to make stuff up so the messaging is so so important and and that unfortunately i don't think they're doing a great job at this point well, right before I came on with you two gentlemen, I did hear from the White House, from President Biden, that he actually was asked the question regarding the police response and his response, rather generic, but it was a response that you would want. Let's see how the investigation unfolds. I have trust in law enforcement. And that was About time. a shock. <laughs> that was an actual shock to, to hear that. So that messaging yeah. is very important versus all of the uh, other issues with, with gun control and, you know, the left and the right and politicizing this entire event versus how can we do better next time? This is what it's about. So we had things that were in play with the school regarding having their security, regarding having resource officers, $500,000 pumped into the school system just for this purpose. And it failed miserably. So what happened? And where did that money go? Because we've got to keep these kids safe. When I was a kid in school, all the way from grammar school to high school, our doors were locked. What happened? What changed? What changed in all of these years? I mean, because it's been a while since I've been in school, but it was it was customary. So why not, especially now with all of these school shootings, that that is just not a precedent across the United States? You know, I think, Lisa, that almost has to be a national, like there's a NIMS, you know, national uh uh, the, the emergency management system. Mm -hmm. There has to be a national protocol to respond to these active shooters. 
because it seems like each jurisdiction doesn't have the ability to respond to it, then perhaps we should have, you know, like like you had the Border Patrol here, and they, they say this town is inundated with illegals because they're coming into this town. So that's why Border Patrol is basically interred inside that town, thank God, and they were able to respond to this. But I think we need more of like a national response protocol to active shooters. Especially in the small towns, because these are the ones that are going to be targeted because they know that the police are not prepared for that. Even having police, your regular patrol officers going in through, go, going to do walkthroughs. So you know your school, you know the rooms, you know the perimeter, you know uh, you're, you're you know, affiliated with it on a very intimate level so that in the event this ever happens, at least you know you've got a layout of the school. Make those, make those trips and get that training. Absolutely. No, folks in the chat, Hannah, so the local police didn't respond. We didn't say that. They did respond, but they don't have the ability to respond in the way you have to confront an active shooter with heavy weaponry. They don't have the heavy weaponry. That's what we're trying to get across. Luckily, Border Patrol was around, and they do have the heavy weaponry, and they were able to take this guy out. Billy, I think you and I talked about it before we went on the air. And Lisa, you brought it up, hardening the targets. That's the most important thing with regard to the schools. Now, we talked about having some type of a public safety officer, whether it be a retired law enforcement officer, retired military, or an active police officer that's working uh, you know, outside of the police force that has access. Listen, you need a sidearm. He should be wearing a uniform with a sidearm, but he should have access to a long gun somewhere locked in that building. So that way, in the event, if the, if there was a public safety officer inside that school that had access to a long gun and he crashed across the street and he was firing shots, that officer could have got to that gun and taken him out before he even got on to the school grounds. Now, I'm not Monday morning quarterbacking. I'm saying every school should have this facilitated throughout the country. We just sent $54 billion to Ukraine. I think that that 54 billion could be spent on the schools of the United States and every school, whether it be a grammar school, high school, college, whatever, should be fortified and should be protected. Our children are our most important resource that we have in this country and that should be protected. And the government's first thing is that they should be protecting us. And that's what I call for. And I called for it in the last school shooting. And hopefully there's never another one, but this needs to be done. You know, Lisa, one of the things that always becomes, uh, you know, politicized here is uh, the left is anti-Second Amendment. The right is uh, heavy-duty Second Amendment. And I think that we do have to meet somewhere in the middle. Because, I, I mean, I believe after all the, you know, Sandy Hook, Columbine, all these shootings, I don't think an 18-year-old should be able to buy an AR-15. I think there has to be waiting periods to buy firearms. I think there's to be background checked. I think there has to be mental health checks. So I agree with all of those things, but yet the left wants to just make new laws. You know why they want to make the new laws? Because they'll never use them. So, and they can, they can appease their base in New York. They don't even prosecute people for carrying guns. So they want to talk this nonsense so they can write new laws. Well, you're writing laws to appease your base, but guess what? There's a guy in New York right now who's been arrested five times in the last year for carrying a gun. You know where he is? He's out on the street. Yeah. They won't prosecute the guy. So stop with your nonsense then. You know what I mean? Right. Because of bail reform. All yes. of this. Yeah. It, it, that's what's happening. So let's go ahead and make it very difficult to get a gun. 
and we know they're going to get it on the black market. And we also know about ghost guns. It's going to happen. Bad guys will always have that. But then they're not going to be prosecuted to the full extent that they need to be. So no it's, deterrent. It's exactly. Not nothing at all. Background checks are happening. And he actually did. And, and I it was my understanding that he bought the first gun. He did do a, a background check. So that was done. And then he got the second one. He had to wait a little bit longer. And a background check was done on him. He did have some issues and psychological issues, but why would he report that? The medical facility is not going to report it. So this whole reporting thing, if you check the box, are you a felon? They'll just check. No, I'm not a felon. I mean, there's ways to circumvent that. And then let's look at juveniles. Juveniles record, you're, you don't have access to that. Yes, shield. Um, juvenile has a felony. You're right. You're right. It won't be Good flat. Point. So, so, you know, there's so many things that said and, you know, I always say more untruths are told through omission than commission. Yes. You know what I mean? If you don't want something to get out, just don't report on it. You know, and and people do that all the time. No, we can't report on this because that goes against our ideology. So just don't report on it. And this way we don't have to deal with it, you know. And I find that to be sad. And a lot of these, you know, already, as I said, that this has become – a huge political football already. Uh, look at what Beto O'Rourke, and I don't want to give him two seconds of time, but look what he did yesterday. Disgraceful. Ridiculous. Ridiculous. And, um, it's getting, it gets to be so political, but you know, both sides really do have to sit down and discuss this. I think the problem is, is that each side wants to push too far. There's many on the left that want gun confiscation. That will never, ever, ever happen in this country. So, but when you get a, a nut like that guy Buttigieg, he was pushing for gun con Who's going to confiscate those guns? Mm -mm -mm. The police, right? Really? Oh, so you're going to make the police the bad guy, you know? MK, thank you so much for the 1999 Super Chat. My grandchild's school has a doorbell to enter, but many times I've been let in by another parent holding the door for me. Also, in upper grades, the cameras are being watched by other students working in the office. You know, people always try to cut corners. Right. And that's where security... It suffers. And you notice they cut corners because of, guess what? Money. Because of money. You know, and again, Phil made the point. They just gave $40 billion to the Ukraine, but they can't make our elementary schools safe. Terrible. You know, sort of disturbing, you know. I want to play a little bit of um, the community in mourning here, a report by NBC. And I'm sure a lot of us folks have seen some of this, but I think it's important uh, to watch a little bit yeah. of this. In mourning comes together tonight. The people of Uvalde are mourning the 21 lives lost inside a school. Because our hearts are broken. We are devastated. This vigil gave people a chance to grieve and to lean on each other for support as they confront new questions about how this tragedy could have happened. Thank you for joining us. I'm Jacqueline London. And I'm Jim Rosenfield. Tonight, new stories are emerging about the children and teachers who died inside Robb Elementary. Here are all their faces. One student was an avid runner. Another loved to swim and to dance to TikTok videos. The teachers are also being remembered for pouring their hearts and souls into their work. There are so many more stories to be told as we put names and faces to these victims. NBC 10's Miguel Martinez Baez in Uvalde tonight. Miguel, you've been speaking to people there all day as they honor those who were lost. 
Hey, that's right. And it, I can tell you it's been a very somber day here in Uvalde. It's been a day of grieving as a community is still trying to wrap their heads around how this could happen, why these children and these beloved teachers were targeted by the gunmen. But as those questions remain, we've also seen community members step up, join together, looking for hope and looking for healing and looking for ways to help their neighbors out. Heavy hearts looking for signs of hope in Uvalde. The day after the massacre at Robb Elementary cost the community 19 children and two beloved teachers. Loved ones and neighbors gathered across town for a vigil at the Fairfax and for a mass at Sacred Heart, looking to God for answers. Faith is what's going to bring us all together and, and get us all through this. It really is. And while we still don't have a motive for why the 18-year-old targeted this elementary school, we are learning more about some of the victims, including beloved teacher, mother, and family member, Irma Garcia. She was just an awesome, happy person. Music blaring at her house all the time. You knew that if we were going to Irma's house and she was going to have a gathering, we were going to have fun. We're also learning more about the Uvalde community, a community made up of people who wanted to do their part to help in the healing. People from San Antonio, you know, are DMing me on Twitter and Instagram asking like what time the blood drives were going to be here and if there were places over there in San Antonio that would help us over here. And it's just amazing. And do their part in preventing another tragedy like this from occurring. We're definitely going to be able to start seeing that more here, especially in this community, seeing young, younger people getting out and voting to put change into office. People looking for answers, also looking for change. Now, I can tell you some of the efforts to help out, like uh, getting funds for these families affected by this violence, as well as blood donations, those continue on to tomorrow. I'll send it back to you guys. I'm Miguel Martinez-Valle in Uvalde. Miguel, thank you. And tonight we are learning more about the gunman and the moments leading up to yesterday's unthinkable carnage. His family members insist they did not see this coming. Could you give us any insight into his Not state really. of mind? What, when's the last time you spoke to him? Uh, I speak to him daily, but yeah. you know he had guns in the house? No, I didn't know. The gunman's grandfather seemingly at a loss to explain his grandson's unspeakable actions yesterday morning. Officials say the rampage began around 11 a.m. Tuesday when the suspect posted on Facebook he was going to shoot his 66-year-old grandmother who lived with him inside this home. She survived and went to a neighbor to call police. As authorities say, he took off in her truck, posting on Facebook, I shot my grandmother. At around 11.15, I'm going to shoot an elementary school, he wrote. By 11.32, he was at Robb Elementary after police say he crashed the truck. There was a brave, consolidated independent school district resource officer that approached him engage him and at that time there was not gunfire was not exchanged the suspect was then able to go inside the school with a backpack and an ar-15 rifle he bought legally just after he turned 18 days ago he went down the hallway turned right then turned left and there was two classrooms that were adjoining and that's where the, the carnage began officials say he locked the door then opened fire on more than a dozen children and their two teachers before he was shot and killed by a responding off-duty Border Patrol officer. This shouldn't have happened like this, and I'm sorry to all the families. The gunman's aunt telling NBC News' Tom Yamas today she had no idea why her nephew snapped. 
Everybody holds things inside. People go through things and nobody understands. Others who knew the shooter described him as a loner. Law enforcement says he has no known criminal history and no record of mental illness. And as you've all mourned the loss of those 21 neighbors, tension boiled over at one point today as state and local leaders were updating the public. Democratic nominee for governor Beto O'Rourke interrupted the briefing and confronted the group over gun control. Shut it up. I'm not going to give Beto O'Rourke two seconds of yeah. airtime. You know, Poppy J, thank you so much. Poppy J, thank you for your $25 super chat. Thank you all for your many years of service and continuing to provide uncommon sense. Much respect. Thank you so much, Poppy J. Thank you. Um, well, as Pony, thank you so much for the 1999 super sticker. You guys, I really appreciate you. Thank you for thank supporting you so much, guys. Police off the cuff. Uh, this is this is really uh, appreciated. These are very difficult stories to cover. We don't really enjoy covering these stories uh, because it, it takes a toll on us, you know. And you know, Lisa, I want to. I wonder if you comment upon this. I hope that the community gets the money after the fact from the federal government for the mental health care uh, they're going to need to uh, PTSD and that type of thing. And, and the offices also, but especially this community, this is something that just rocks a community. And how many years is it going to take them to recover from this? Without a doubt. It's, it's something that's needed. And I would imagine uh, not only the federal government, but also all kinds of incredible campaigns that are started to help help these uh, kids and families with funeral services and, um, you know, that sort of thing. But yes, everybody is affected. The, the children who survived, um, the children who witnessed other children being shot, obviously, and then the first responders who had shown up and seen, you know, the result, the bloodbath, as you had said. And, you know, the list goes on. All the family members who are affected by this, the father not having a clue, the aunt not having a clue, saying, I don't know, it was bubbling up inside of him. Um, he didn't finish school. There were students who, who knew him that said he started to turn emo, wearing a lot of black and having the eyeliner on. And he wounded himself on his face just because he thought it looked cool to have a scar on his face. He did it himself. So we have little signs here and there. Um, there was allegedly issue that he had with his mother that he needed to go live with his grandmother. So, you know, teens go through a lot of stuff. There's a lot of angst and there's bullying and it happens. And none of that is going to change. None of that's going to change. What happens to them to cause them to say, I want to go and kill people and shoot people up. I got slack when I told when I posted something on my social media about uh, these violent video games. And they're like, oh, it's not that. No, but it's a combination of that. It desensitizes these kids. This call of duty where all you do is go and shoot up people in places causes the desensitization, desensitization of desensitization of, of these of these kids because you know now it, it compels them. It's kind of like the gateway drug. It compels them, let me go and get a real weapon and have this experience. And he he already said, and in, in, he forecasted what he was going to do. He was talking to another girl online that didn't even know him and talked about buying these guns and showing the photos of it. 
So they do these kind of forecasts to get this extra attention. And I, I hate that because over and over again, we find out that they've done this in advance. They're where, where they put it on social media. They put it on these other uh, underground places like Discord and Twitch, where they're talking about it. They're showing guns. And I just wish that the peers of these people would do a little bit more with calling the police and saying, hey, something's up with this guy or this is off and let's check this out. Police would be more than happy to investigate these cases and say, okay, let's identify this person who's flashing all of these guns and talking about doing something because there always seems to be a forecast. They want this notoriety. You know, Lisa, um, I think you're right. It's more than one thing. It's like the perfect storm. You have the internet, which I think overall is a bad thing that kids unsupervised on the internet. I think even the people that run these social media sites, they don't allow their own kids to go on. So they know how damaging it is. And then of course, these, these video games, look, I was bullied as a kid. I'm sure Phil was bullied too. Go bigger kid slapped you around. I didn't go buy an AR 15 and shoot up anything. You know what I mean? Everyone, it was like the rite of passage to get bullied. And it's how you respond to it. You know, I remember when I played football, we would get the, crap beat out of us by the team you know if i was on jv the varsity slapped us around all the time you know and it was just like all right this is i guess this is the the passage that it wasn't a good thing but it happened and i think even the coaches knew it happened which was a little more egregious you know but to to, because you're bullied and that was used as an excuse in columbine too they were bullied and they became the trench coat mafia and they specifically targeted the jocks when they started shooting up the school. So I still don't think that is a good reason to get an AR-15 and and go to an elementary school and kill little kids. Billy, I think that Lisa brought up a great point because I saw something about this last night when I was watching some of the news coverage. Now, I'm going to talk about the five latest shootings. Uh, I'm not going to mention the names. Sandy Hook, Parkland, Virginia Tech, Buffalo, and Uvalde, Texas. All of those people, there's a common denominator committed those atrocious, horrendous, uh, horrible carnage crimes. They were all about 18 to 20 years old. They were all suffering from mental illness that was undiagnosed or even diagnosed. And maybe it's a component of the lockdowns recently. Maybe it's a component of being in front of a computer screen, playing those video games for 8, 10, 12, 15 hours a day. I know other parents complain about it. I have daughters, but parents with sons and they, they thought, oh, my kid don't want to get off the computer. And I'm like, that's not good. That's not good. And the people that are in charge of social media don't allow their children to play these games because they know the studies that have been done show it leads to depression. It leads to mental illness. It leads to uh, the, the, the child to become uh, removed from uh, everyday social activities, all of these different things. And then during the lockdown, there's an increase in psychotropic drugs. They talked about that, a 20% increase. More people are taking medications to treat depression. And a lot of times these medications, specifically in young people, can trigger psychotic behavior, suicide, different things. So why aren't we, if we're putting all this energy into talking about guns and guns and guns, let's put some energy and study these, there's a common denominator here, all of those five shootings that I just mentioned. And then you can go into Columbine. They all fit into the same category, young males between the ages of 18 to let's say 20 or 22, whatever it is. That's where we need to start to figure out what is causing society to produce these murderous psychopathic killers. That's really what we need to find out. Absolutely. Folks, this is police off the cuff, real crime stories. 
If you like this show, uh, policing from a police perspective, please go on our YouTube, hit that subscribe button. It's free. Give us a thumbs up, ring that bell. If you want to support us, we have a Patreon with three different levels. And we also have a YouTube channel memberships, five different levels. And the folks that are in uh, the chat with the green font, they're part of our YouTube family. You know, folks, this is, we don't have the answers, but we think that maybe through discussing it and that little limerick you hear all the time, if you see something, say something, that works. Very that important. does work. That worked catching those two, the escaped prisoner and the correction officer. Um, from right, and that worked because the guy in the car wash saw them and he said something. Casey and Vicky White, right? Yeah, and in, in this instance, in these active shooter cases, you see someone, someone's behavior that's a little off. Then I think that you should say something to someone. Report it, Duty Ron. Great to see you, buddy. Duty Ron says thank you for the ten dollars super chat. He said I'm just here to see Lisa Lockwood. Sorry, Bill and Phil. Prayers to all the victims and their families. Thank you, Duty Ron. And thank you not for going on the air the same time as me and squashing me with your big audience. <laughs> you know, Lisa, I, I also want to thank you for so much for coming on because the in the way I do things, I just think do it things at the last moment. I called Lisa today. Lisa, what are you doing at such a oh I can make it today? I called her another day. She goes, Oh, I can't do it tonight. But today I I hit it. I spin that wheel and I was lucky and I got you to come on. So thank you so much for coming on with no notice. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. I'm impulsive as well. Oh, that's uh, good. <laughs> but this whole mental health thing, I mean, this is this is what it boils down to. Some people you know, like us in the old days or whatever, we had the constitution to deal with it. I grew up where my dad, you know, we got whippings, whooping. So that was, that was the norm. And, you know, what's different with society, uh, the disciplining, is it happening at home? Are parents really engaged? Is everybody on their devices and just checked out, out of, you know, rearing children? Are there financial issues now? Yes, I would imagine so, especially after the lockdowns where parents are not um, as hands-on as they could or should be. And, you know, right now, these, these kids have so many places to go on the Internet and into the dark web where they're learning all of these things and getting caught up in, in an array of conspiracies. And that just fuels them. These virtual friends fuel them to want to be somebody and going and shooting up a school or shooting up, you know, any area, a, a theme park or a hotel, whatever. It's like that's the thing. And they want to go down in infamy. So. A lot of changes obviously need, need to happen. Um, and it starts with what do we do right now to protect our kids? Do we see this stopping tomorrow? No, we don't. We just had in San Diego a lockdown. Somebody called in saying that they were going to shoot up some schools. So two schools were on lockdown just from a phone call. So we have these copycats that are out there doing it because they like the idea of that 15 minutes of fame. And what did he think was going to happen? You know, Ramos in this Uvalde shooting, uh, what did he think in the end was going to happen? He was going to be in a custody or he was going to die in a blaze of glory because he had nothing to live for. That was one of the things that was brought out in one of the shows that I was watching that a lot of these uh, uh, school shooters, they don't have a sense of conscience and they don't have a sense of future that they, they have no plan for the future and they don't have conscience. Those are some of the red flags. I think that uh, a person who's interviewing a, a, maybe, you know, an interdiction in a school where uh, the last shooter, the Buffalo shooter, he came to school and he was wearing 
he made threats right. and he's wearing that uh, the crazy outfit uh, for the lockdowns. And they did, you know, they did uh, psychologically evaluate him. But during that questioning, if they asked him about his conscience, if he had conscience, doesn't have any, uh, you know, hope for the future. Those are things, those are major red flags. And there was a psychiatrist that now passed away. He was one of the talking heads, Charles Krauthammer. In 2013, when there was a school shooting, he said that these people that are now walking the streets uh, years ago didn't when they uh, police encountered and Bill and I can attest to that what we would call an emotionally disturbed person or an EDP, we would take them to a psychiatric facility. They'd be held for observation. If they thought that they were a threat for themselves or to others, they would hold them for a couple of weeks and medicate them and, and get them on the right track. They don't do that anymore. There's a lot of treat and release in the, most of these cases because of different uh, reasons through uh, the American civil liberties and holding people against their will and stuff because you are going to hold them in a locked facility. So a lot of the technical stuff, uh, with that, it, it caused a lot of these. And, and if you walk through the streets of Manhattan, there's a million, uh, not a million, but there's a lot of homeless, mentally ill people walking the streets because of the fact that the psychiatrists don't have the ability to say, you know, this person is a danger. They need to be uh, incarcerated in a mental health, mental health facility for a period of time. I want to play a little bit of the press conference. And I think that you'll see a little bit more of what I mean about the messaging that perhaps they don't have the skill level at getting the message out like a large department would. On Tuesday, May 24th at 11.28, suspect just west of here wrecks his vehicle, pickup truck that he took from his grandmother. He had just shot his grandmother in the face She's alive. She's stable at this point. 1128, he's sitting there at the partage. He jumps out the passenger side of the truck. According to witnesses, he's got a long arm, rifle, and a bag. Later, we find out it's ammunition. He walks around. He sees two witnesses at the funeral home across the street from where he wrecked. He engages and fires towards them. He continues walking. He continues walking towards the school. He climbs a fence. Now he's in the parking lot, shooting at the school multiple times. 1140, he walks into the west side of Robb Elementary. According to reports, video we have obtained from outside, inside, and again, we're still combing through that. So bear with us. Multiple rounds, numerous rounds are discharged in the school. We're trying to do get a number. We're in the process of analyzing that video. Four minutes later, Local police departments, Uvalde Police Department, the Independent School District Police Department are inside, making entry. They hear gunfire, they take rounds, they move back, get cover. And during that time, they approach where the suspect is at. According to the information I have, he went in at 1140. He walked. And I'm at approximately 20 feet, 30 feet 
he makes a right. He walks into the hallway, he makes a right, walks another 20 feet. Turns left into a schoolroom, into a classroom that has doors open in the middle. Officers are there, the initial officers, they receive gunfire. They don't make entry initially because of the gunfire they're receiving. But we have officers calling for additional resources. Everybody that's in the area, tactical teams. We need equipment, we need specialty equipment, we need body armor, we need precision riflemen, negotiators. So during that time that they're making those calls to bring in help to solve this problem and stop it immediately, they're also evacuating personnel not say personnel, students, teachers. There's a lot going on. A lot complex situation. They're measuring, they're measuring. Approximately an hour later, US Border Patrol tactical teams arrive. They make entry, shoot and kill the suspect. But you also had a Zavada County deputy and Uvalde Police Department that made entry and killed the suspect. Immediately, immediately, numerous officers, now it turns into a rescue operation. How do we save these children? How do we save these children? Some made it out. We don't have a hard number yet, but that was a goal. And then continuing, making the area safe, continue. A lot of moving parts afterwards. But during, they were taking gunfire, negotiations, and developing a team to make entry to stop them. I'll take a few questions. And, and again, look, I summary. One more thing I forgot to mention that that I want to clear up that came out early on. It was reported that a school district police officer confronted the suspect that was making entry. Not accurate. He walked in unobstructed initially. So from the grandmother's house to the bardage to the school into the school, he was not confronted by anybody. To clear the record on that, four minutes later, law enforcement are coming in to solve this problem. So, you know, I'm going to uh, remove him. He did his best job as he could. I think that I, when I watch a lot of the um, uh, presentations that the NYPD does, they always qualify it by saying this is early on, all of this information is preliminary, and it's subject to change. change. One of the things that we're hearing right now is that, yes, between 1144 and 1244, he was inside that classroom, and they say the first five minutes he shot, he shot all the kids in the first five minutes. Now, he was trying to explain that the officers just weren't sitting there. They were attempting to breach the door. They didn't have the ability to do it. They didn't have the 
at that point, I don't know if they had the keys. I, look, I can't speak for them, but he was trying to explain that they just weren't sitting there allowing these kids to be shot to death. They were, they were taking on gunfire. I don't know if they, in fact, were returning gunfire. But Lisa, what, what, you want to comment upon this? They, uh, from what I heard, and this is preliminary, I don't have all the facts, is that there was an exchange of gunfire. And we're going to be able to see that, obviously, because the officers are going to talk about who discharged their weapons, and they're going to start looking for casings um, and find out how many rounds he actually fired, which ones were found in walls and corridors um, during that engagement. So we'll be able to find that out, obviously, as the, um, the sweep and the forensic material gets collected. So Again, you know, as he went and he explained it, it all, explained it all um, because there was misinformation in the beginning saying there was a resource officer there and, um, you know, he was initially there and it wasn't. It's just false information that snowballed and that wasn't the case. It was a four minute response time from the time he got into the building, Ramos, our bad guy, and the police officers went in to engage him. And the, the big gray area we have right now is did he walk in there, shoot up that room? And then when police officers went in and heard a gunfire, you know, what happened? Did he come out into the hallway again? And then there was the exchange. And then he went and barricaded himself into another room. I, I, think, the, I think what we're hearing basically from what that press conference tells us is that it's exactly what you said. He was a barricaded perp at that point and a possible possible hostage situation. They may or may not have been killed already. It sounds like they may have already been shot and killed because of the, the, the reports are that the shooting was, was much more intense in the beginning. So again, the call to pull back and wait for an entry team that was, uh, that had the right, you know, the right tools and the right equipment to do that was probably the right call. So I, I, I think the protocols of an active shooter is go in and, and make entry as soon as you can. But was it an active shooter situation? I think it may have transitioned now to a barricade and possible hostage situation. Do we know if there was any uh, attempt to communicate with him? We don't know that, you know? So again, they were, they were also like, they weren't standing around. They were, uh, rescuing people through the windows and back doors and stuff like that. So they were removing people from the building. They were removing teachers and students. So it wasn't like they were just sitting there. It was, it was a very chaos, chaotic situation, I'm sure. And again, Billy, you made the point. The messaging is very important. That is very, very important because if you put something out there before you know it for fact and it's wrong, you're going to look, you're going to have egg on your face. And I think if they uh, said it, you know, preemptively that this is preliminary, you know, a lot of things are, are fluid right now. We don't have a hundred percent fact on these things, but we're going to tell you what we think is, you know, that may have helped a little bit, but again, to go out there and make things sound like th th there was the press conference yesterday where he said the perpetrator was engaged by a public safety officer. And we know that not to be true. Then there was the story changed a little while well, he, he engaged him, but he didn't fire any shots. And then now they say he was not engaged at all. He went into that school from the time he shot his grandmother to the time he entered that school. The officer just said it there. He had no engagement with anyone. Exactly. Uh, Willa's pony. Thank you again for the 1999 super chat. Thank Love you. your great explanations. I wish you could get your explanation to the media covering this. Well, I think the media is part of the police bashing crowd. And, uh, you know, I, no matter what we told them, they don't want to wait. They don't want to wait for an explanation. They'll fill in the blanks, whether it's true or not, because that's what they do. They fill in the blanks with mistruths. Revenge Australia, good day. Every a single Aussie school has a 10-foot fence, colobon, corrugated steel surrounding the grounds. 
I wish I could send a photo. We have big gators. I'm so sorry. We're all sorry that this happened. Uh, Schmitty, valuables are protected with security, banks, grocery stores, even Walmart as security present. Yet we don't have our most precious valuables protected, our children. This has to change. We agree with you. You know, look, I being a former police officer, I I am still I'm pro gun control. I really am. But I, you know, when people say common sense gun control, when the left says that, they don't mean that. They do not mean that. Trust me. What they mean is gun confiscation. So the, the right knows that. So the right says, no, no, we're not looking for common sense because their common sense isn't the same as our common sense. And one of the things I just like to point out, and you know, man, many people would say, oh, you're crazy thinking that. We had two and a half years of riots in this country. And if you think those were peaceful protests, mm. 40 people were killed during those two years of riots and billions of dollars of damages were done. The government or the, the, the Democratic-run cities had no intention of protecting their citizens. Their citizens' homes were being attacked. And, th- and then I, I'm taking this full circle. Then they want to take your gun so you can't protect yourself. So that's where I'm coming from. And defund the police, Billy. Don't leave that out. Defund the police at the same time. So there's some craziness here. And so I I would also like to note, why didn't Biden visit uh, Texas? Where is he? 19 kids were killed. MIA. That's where he is. Yeah, where is he? He didn't visit. You know, he visited Buffalo, but he didn't visit uh, Texas. I I did hear just before I got on with you, too, is that he is going there with Jill on Sunday. So they'll okay. make the trip. They plan on plan on being there for that. And I, on another note, back to uh, back to the crime scene. You know, there's been a push, obviously, across the nation for police officers to have body cams. Um, you know, funding for that with this whole defund campaign. I don't know if Uvalde police had body cams with the ones who actually entered the building first. Those would be very helpful. Did the school have cameras in those corridors as they should have? You know, so again, the funding was there. The, the school received $450,000 two years ago to make sure that resource officers were there and make sure that there were cameras, make sure that this school was set up like a fortress with the proper locks. So all of this was was fluid and put in place. And we have an epic fail. So Lisa, let, let me make another point. I, I hate to interrupt you, but I, this just came to mind. And I don't want to forget it. Under the Obama administration, as well as recently in the Biden administration, they want to remove certain tactical equipment from law enforcement agencies throughout the country. They want to take away if if, if we had some type of a uh, one of those little things that looks like a tank. That is not, uh, you can't pass that with a two, two, three round. So that might've been engaged. I mean, he was inside the building, maybe not in that situation, but we need all the equipment and all the funding and the training in law enforcement to protect school children. Let's not defund, let's fund and let's have training and let's have uh, fortified doors and schools and all the things that we said. And that's one part of it. The other part of it, as we said, we need to figure out why these people are doing these things. There's a common denominator. I brought it up before. We need to figure that out. There needs to be studies on that. The mental health, uh, what their state of mind is, what caused them, what caused them to become school shooters. That's what we need to find out. You know, I just well, I played this last night a little bit, and um, she happens to be one of my favorite reporters. I think she's very fair. I think she's very smart. And she's from Connecticut, and she covered the Sandy Hook um, shooting 10 years ago, and that's Ashley Banfield. And I just... 
I think this is important to show because it just shows how actually upset a news reporter gets over this. And, uh, you know, usually you got to keep it, you got to keep it professional just as we do as police officers, but she got really upset over this. And I'm just going to play a little bit of what she spoke about yesterday. You know, another another elementary school shooting, and, and this is just tragic. No matter what you feel about gun control, none of us want to see this loss of life. That's my senator. Um, Chris Murphy's my senator in Connecticut. Uh, that's my state, and that's where Sandy Hook happened. 40 minutes from my house, Sandy Hook. So, um, you know, when Sandy Hook happened, I was on the air. It broke on my show. And I immediately packed up from the anchor set in New York City and I drove with a photographer to Sandy Hook and set up outside Sandy Hook. So what I'm seeing on the screen right now is extraordinarily reminiscent of what I saw in 2012. Um, It's identical. This is a playbook now that we can all follow. You'll get aerial shots of uh, law enforcement officers outside the elementary school as they start to process the dead The bodies are still in there, Nicole. Those children's bodies are still in there. And they will be there for quite some time as those law enforcement officers start dropping little orange cones all over that building where they find bullets and evidence and fragments and body parts of babies. We went through this in 2012. The emotion that you saw from Chris Murphy is real. It is felt by all of us, not just in the press who are there, not just the senators who represent. It is felt by everyone in America who had to stomach the fact that little children were blown to bits in their classroom, one after the other, by a teenager. Adam Lanza was a young man who went to that school, right? Adam Lanza killed his mother and then took off for the school. And this young man at 18 allegedly killing his grandmother and then going to the school. Adam Lanza killed himself. I am only assuming that maybe this young, uh, troubled individual at 18 maybe killed himself. I don't know. I know there's an exchange of gunfire, but Chris Murphy is right. What the hell are we doing? I am an immigrant to this country. This doesn't happen in Canada where I'm from. I love my country. I am a citizen here, but I cannot sit by and continue to report on these stories. I lost it in Sandy Hook. I understand. I could barely yes. breathe. I could <laughs> barely breathe. And here I am again, 10 years later, doing that same story at approximately the same time of day about the same exact thing. The same exact thing. I just don't even know what else to say. I know it is, it is so difficult. And, and that's one thing uh, when Senator Murphy was speaking, you know, it really does bring up so much trauma for so many people. And I think, you know, these mass shootings sadly have, have become something that, that just are. They've become, become something that just are, but we have to remember. And I think, you know, when you were describing the fact that those bodies are still in there, the bodies of, of little children, because we know this school was enrolled, enrollment is only second through fourth grade. So we're talking about second graders, third graders, and fourth graders, as well as a teacher. And we know that their little bodies are still sitting on, on, on the floor. And that, that is, is so graphic, but I think sometimes we almost need to hear those details. Yeah. So this doesn't become yeah, we do. white noise. And yeah. it doesn't become something Thank you. that we just move Th- on. Thank you, Nicole. 
Thank you for saying that because one after another, we're becoming really sanitized. So there's that news story again, another shooting. Let's just remember exactly what's happening this minute in this town of Uvalde, Texas, a state where I lived for five years and got to know well. There are little children's torn apart bodies. And I am sorry for being real here, but you can't just look at your television right now and say, how sad, another shooting. It's not just another shooting. It's another Sandy Hook. It's another catastrophe. You could say it's another 9-11. I mean, how much more are we gonna take of this until we actually do something? And I just wanna state something here that may have gone by very quickly. Allie, who was reporting earlier, Nicole mentioned that law enforcement told her that the girlfriend of this shooter had said to law enforcement that she was going to finish the job. That's an investigation that's probably happening right now, because who knows if this is just this one shooter or if this was a cabal or a plan or maybe a pair or maybe a movement or maybe a political idea. Who, Who knows what it was, but we've got to find out. And then we've got to take some kind of action. Republicans, Democrats alike, wake the hell up. This just has got to stop. So, I mean, I played this yesterday also. I mean, you could see how upset she was. And I think that we all uh, are upset over this, I think. I think that, you know, uh, children aren't supposed to go to school and get killed by a shooter. It's not supposed to happen, you know. And uh, I can't wait. Look, my sons are grown, but I can't even imagine, you know, when they were in school in elementary school, me getting called to go to the school because there was an active shooter there. And you want you want the government and you want law enforcement, you want them to be able to protect you. And you want them to have the tools to protect you. And you want them to have the support of the government to protect you. And all of those things aren't happening right now, you know. Um it, it's it's the whole political situation is just horrible. But you know, yeah, there does have to be some gun control. I I, I agree with that. Definitely, Billy. There's definitely a need for, uh, like we talked about yesterday, an 18 year old shouldn't be walking into a uh, a gun store and buying a long rifle and all those rounds and uh, without training, uh, without some type of uh, interdiction by someone to see it. There. Say again. A mental fitness test. Yes, exactly, exactly. You can join the military at 18, okay? You're going to be given a long gun, but you're in a proper environment to learn how to respect a weapon, how to use the weapon, what the weapon means, you know? You sleep with the weapon, you dismantle the weapon blindfolded. So there becomes this whole relationship with it. And then, as we said before, I mean, people who are, these kids who are playing all of these crazy video games who are getting desensitized, because of it and then they want the real thing it's like as i said the gateway drug so so what do you do i mean eight i don't think an 18 year old you could say an 18 year old uh young person they're not developed to where they need to be as far as the maturity but then the fight comes in as well they're mature enough to join the military and fight for our country Um, but again in the military they do get a psychological evaluation too so i guess and and the training so again so if if we made the age older that might help somewhat uh i pointed out when you go for a uh, driver's license you start out with a permit you go to training you go to a six-hour class you take lessons before and then you're on a probationary period there has to be some type of a similar 
uh, plan in effect across the country where, you know, there's going to be that type of stuff. And when you interdict with a, a training course, a, a person that's given the training course might pick up on, well, this guy seems like he just, he's eager to get this gun in his hand. And that might be where we can interdict and possibly uh, have some type of a uh, person that can go talk to that person, a social worker, whatever it is, but we can't sit by and do nothing. That's what we can't do. And I think the root of the problem, they want to say it's the gun. It's the person pulling the trigger. It's not the gun. It's not the gun. Gun doesn't fire off by itself. It's the person pulling the trigger. We have to focus on that. And I think, listen, I don't have all the answers. I don't think any of us do, but I think these are great suggestions that all of us are coming up with, uh, harden the targets at the school, obviously. Yes. And then, you know, look at the, the common, the common denominator is in this newspaper so right next to me. It shows the last five pictures of the last five, uh, massive school shooters. And they're all from the same category. They're all young kids that were probably, you know, uh, being indoctrinated over the internet through video games or whatever. So uh, again, that's the, that's the the common denominator here. Let's focus on that. And then you know, Lisa, Lisa, yeah. even the whole thing with this whole the wokeness and like how people were threatened by seeing police in Starbucks. I mean, I find that outrageous. You know, and how they were triggered by seeing guns. On they don't police want police officers. in the schools, Billy. Those same people are saying they don't want police on college campuses with guns because it triggers them. They don't want police in schools because it upsets them. But we live in in a world where we're having these situations, and and it's it's like we need it. It has to be. There's no question. So, yeah. What are we? What's what are we breeding right now because of the wokeness, because of the media, because of what's becoming more acceptable? Let's have our special little uh, uh, private rooms on campus where we can go and, and be with our, our specific race and all of this crazy division that's happening. And we're not raising strong people. And when I say we're, I mean, as, as a village, as, as a, a whole United States, what is happening? Because what we permit will persist and we're watching it persist over and over again with a weaker mental mindset to not think about. Let's take down our statues. Let's get rid of uh, the Confederates. We have those things so they do not repeat themselves. This is why we learn about war in history and world history, because we have to be reminded of what happened in the past so that we don't repeat it in the future. That's why we have Second Amendment and that's why we have our guns. We're not about living in a society where you're gonna take our, our, our freedoms away from us because of the potential of anarchy and rioting, and we need to feel safe. And there are plenty of good people out here who have weapons and protect their homes and have concealed carry and carry permits who are the good guys. And we outweigh the bad guys. Amen, Lisa. That was very well said. I couldn't agree with you more. And the other big thing, of course, is uh, cancel culture. You know, you say the wrong thing have to worry about getting canceled. In fact, uh, comedians don't even want to perform on college campuses anymore because if they say the wrong thing, these little weasels, these little spoiled brats whose parents are paying sixty and $70,000 a year to send them to Columbia University and NYU and all of these. I'm using these New York schools as an example because they're all like Columbia hires terrorists to teach at the schools. Recently, you know, they, it was the mother of that San Francisco DA taught there. She was involved in the Brinks robbery, and they think that's cool to hire a former t cop killer as a parole, professor. parole cop killers are. Uh, yeah, are yeah. So uh, you know that's where again, again that's that's the time for another show. Deborah Racine, thank you for the five dollar super sticker, yeah. guys. We are passionate 
about what we talk about. You know, we didn't work in law enforcement because we weren't passionate about it. You may not agree with everything we say, and that's fine, you know, but uh, there needs to be change, you know, and there definitely does need to be change. Uh, I, I This is the second or third time I, I'm doing this topic, maybe the fourth time, and I mentioned when I taught college a bunch of years ago, I had the chief of police from Sandy Hook come into the college and speak to the students. Wow. And what a guy, what a great guy. And, and what everyone wanted to know was, chief, how are your cops? They walked into that wow. room and saw 20 dead five-year-olds. Not good. How are they doing? He goes, some of them not very well. You know, some of them that's imprinted on their brain for the rest of their life, seeing 20 dead five and six year olds, you know, and uh, let's hope that never, ever, ever happens again. But, you know, it's going to happen again because we have to do something about this. We definitely have to take proactive action, you know, and there's many, many ideas, there's many, many smart people with this country, but we can't have extremists from both sides. They have to come to an agreement somewhere in the middle. You know, uh, that's what I believe. Um, Phil, I'm going to, um, well, let me give Lisa her la last words first, and then I'll go to Phil, because I know Phil, uh, he can get a little long-winded. So, Lisa, I'm going to go to Lisa. Okay. Lisa, last words, Lisa. My last words are this, and, and I posted on social media. We need to make sure that these schools are like fortresses. When are we going to wake up and say this is not ending? Ashley Banfield talked about it. Ten years ago, I was living this, and now we're on repeat. This has become a regular thing. So let's make sure we get our schools protected, whether it comes federally, whether, whether it comes from local taxes, get these schools protected, have these drills, find out, like you said earlier, you got one door in, one door out, it's camera, you need to be buzzed, and let's stop this. He walked in through an open door. Absolutely. Absolutely. here. Yeah. Phil, final words? Final words. Lisa, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate your insight. It was great to see you and have you on in your commentary. And I think you touched on something when you were talking about the safe spaces. We'll provide safe spaces for these knuckleheads in these Ivy League colleges, but we're not going to pro provide a safe environment in our elementary schools. Think about that, guys. That's the most important thing. We touched on it here today. Second thing, let's find out why these type of people are committing this type of crime. Those are two things that really need to be done. The school hardening is not a big deal. It's not a lot of money. We sent $54 billion over to, uh, to Ukraine. And I'm not saying that I'm not behind Ukraine and what Russia's doing. It's not about that. Let's take care of our kids first, and then we'll worry about Ukraine. With that $54 billion, it probably wouldn't even been half that to do what we need to do to harden these schools. Uh, again, we, we said it the last few nights, condolences to those families. Can't even imagine what they're going through. Uh, let's hope that all the uh, first responders, all the police officers, all the uh, EMS personnel, that everyone gets the proper counseling that they're going to need because this is going to be very, very uh, tough. It's going to stay with them. And uh, back to you, Bill. Poppy J, California, thank you for the $30 super chat. Growing up, there is no chance he could have weapons and armor just laying around. Where are the parents? That's a good question. You know, Very good question. I think parents have to spend time with their children. Eyes wide open. Thank you. Welcome to the Police Off the Cuff YouTube family. Thank you for joining us. Folks, you know, thank you so much for all the support that you give this show. All you guys, all you subscribers, all you folks that come every night and listen to us. And uh, we hope that uh, 
we come up with some good ideas. We open some eyes and we, you know, that we're not just one-sided. I think Democrats, Republicans have to sit down and they have to come to some way to, to mitigate this situation. Yeah, come someplace in the middle and don't come to the, you know, to just be extreme, an extremist and come yeah. to an agreement. And then maybe we could get some. And, you know, there we spoke earlier, everyone's talking about legislation. You have laws, but you don't use them. So what good are you just writing new ones? Good you know? Point, really. So point. it's like in New York, they always talk, we need new, no, you don't need new laws. We got the laws. Just enforce them. Enforce you know? them. And that, that's the problem with a lot of this stuff is they don't want to enforce the law. And, you know, it's it's crazy. But, guys, you know something? I want to thank everyone. And, Lisa, you're the best. Uh, I mean, with no notice, you showed up. And I know you live in that beautiful part of California, so you're, uh, you're looking out your window into the harbor, I think, right? Isn't that true? Show us the harbor there. Oh, wow. there we go. Oh, God oh my God. God. Palm trees. You got it all there. Look at that. Good for you, Lisa. That's beautiful. Thanks. Yeah, one day I'm going to look at some. One day I'm going to look at some palm trees too. Much respect to both of you. Thank you for having me. Thank Lisa, you. thank you, guys. I want to say, uh, be safe to everyone and God bless. And thank you for listening. Stay safe, everyone. One episode, just